turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Check them out at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, the very fascinating tale of Ilya Shapiro and Georgetown Law School. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya, and I'm really excited about Ilya Shapiro, Professor Ilya Shapiro, agreeing to come on with me today to talk about free speech on campus because his story, uh, wow, it's the perfect example of what's going wrong on campuses all across the United States. Professor Ilya, Mr. Shapiro, however you want to be called, I'm grateful for your time. Thanks for being here. Yeah, we're lucky we're not speaking German because then it would be like Herr, Doctor, Director, Professor, or something like that. <laughs> we're lucky we're not speaking German for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, so there was a, a you you penned a piece called "Why I Left Georgetown" because your leaving Georgetown was a choice, and I thought it was a courageous one, and arguably the absolute right one. First, explain to our listeners who aren't as familiar with your background what your position was at Georgetown. Sure. Well, I'll go back even a a little before then. Uh, I was at the Cato Institute for nearly 15 years. That's the nation's leading libertarian think tank. I was the director of constitutional studies there and thought, you know, uh, time for a change, time for a new challenge. And I got a very interesting opportunity from Georgetown University Law Center to be the executive director of their Center for the Constitution. I was due to start there February 1st. And uh, five days before that, uh, I was uh, on the road. I was in Austin, Texas, and news of Justice Breyer's retirement broke. So I was commenting to the media, as was part of my job, uh, about that, and still really upset uh, about President Biden's restricting his pool of candidates by race and sex. He famously said he was going to appoint a black woman. Nothing wrong with appointing a black woman, of course, but uh, I think there was something wrong uh, about uh, saying off the bat, I'm only going to consider people of this kind. And uh, late that night, this is not a good practice, but I was doom scrolling in my hotel room uh, on my Twitter feed and was really upset and and fired off a couple of tweets um, to express my criticism of the president and his selection criteria and saying, you know, you know, I know the judiciary very well. If I were a Democratic president, I would choose a judge by the name of Sri Srinivasan, who happens to be a an Indian American uh, immigrant, uh, but not eligible uh, because didn't fit uh, the the criteria that Biden had established. So then I went to bed 
and, and I woke up and all hell had broken loose uh, online. The, the Twitter mob was after me for expressing my politically incorrect views. That quickly moved from uh, online to offline. The, the dean at Georgetown Law uh, announced, uh, said, criticized me, said I was appalling, that uh, what, I, what, I, what I wrote was against uh, what they were trying to do there. Uh, and I had a few days of hell. It was really uncomfortable. I thought I'd blown up my life, my career, hurt my family. Um, thankfully, I had a lot of support, both public and private. Um, and the dean did not fire me right there, but it was very curious. He onboarded me as I was supposed to be on February 1st, but suspended me with pay pending an investigation into whether my tweets violated the university's anti-harassment, anti-discrimination policies. Uh, and it took more than four months for the lawyers, uh, the, the, the diversity office uh, and HR to, to figure everything out. And they didn't simply say, oh, yeah, we have a free speech policy. So what I said was protected. No, they realized someone looked at a calendar and, and realized that I had not been an employee when I tweeted. And so none of these policies applied to me. So I got off on a technicality and I celebrated that technical victory. This is uh, 10 days ago now, two Thursdays ago. Um, but then later that night, when I got the full report from the Orwellian named Office of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Affirmative Action, uh, I poured over their report with my lawyer, uh, with uh, other trusted advisors, my wife, who's a better lawyer than all of us, and came to the conclusion uh, early Saturday morning, just over a week ago now, that I could not continue. They were setting me up for a fall. They basically said that had I been uh, an employee, and the dean reiterated this in his public statement, insinuating that had I been an employee, then my speech would have been uh, a, an offense subject to discipline, termination, what have you. And they said that if anyone in future were offended or claimed to be offended or discomforted by something I said, that would constitute a hostile educational environment uh, and I'd be subject to discipline. So very very, the, the writing was on the wall, and I knew that I could not, under these conditions, fulfill the duties uh, for which I've been hired to comment on the Supreme Court, to teach classes on sensitive legal issues. Uh, and so by that Monday, I had put together a detailed uh, resignation letter, four pages that I made public, uh, and wrote about it in that Wall Street Journal piece that, that you referenced um, to try to make public and shine a light on uh, this illiberal behavior uh, of the Georgetown administration, more broadly, the rot at the heart of academia. It is, you just sum that up beautifully. I want to ask you, let's go back to the, the beginning of this, the, the tweet. And first of all, just why you felt, because I think a lot of people agreed, when you come out and you say, I'm going to nominate this kind of specific person, uh, you you then are sort of what's the what's the way I want to put it? You're you're almost kneecapping that person because you're kind of saying you're getting the job because you've checked these boxes, right? This isn't necessarily the best person, but it's the best person among you know this subset that I've created. And you know what? She very well could have been the best person. It didn't need yep. to be announced this way, but by yep. by announcing it in advance. He sort of made it difficult for anyone to escape that kind of um, crit critique or that kind of examination. I mean, it, there was just it, there was no need for that. So, I think what the, the you would say that your tweet was quote unquote inartful. Yeah, 
I could have phrased it uh, 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 better. I mean, I pride myself on being a, a communication professional. And what got me in trouble were three specific words. At one point during the tweet, uh, there was the phrase lesser black woman. Uh, that is that every, anyone would be less qualified than the person that I posited would be the best person. And because Biden said it would be a black woman, it would be a less qualified or under the constraints of Twitter, lesser black woman. And that, that's what uh, I, I said was uh, inartful. Uh, why inartful? I mean, because it allowed my political enemies to seize on it, it and manufacture outrage. There it is. It, it It's inartful because it can be twisted against you. And, and I, I I feel confident that is not how you intended it, and it is the danger of Twitter. But at the same time, you're an American. You are given free speech in this country. And when we get to that argument, we have to look at, you know, yeah, free speech applies to government not being able to stop you from saying what you want. But this, we now are in a culture where free speech is at stake. How do you see that? Yeah, Georgetown is a private institution. It's not bound by the First Amendment. Uh, but uh, two things. Uh, legally speaking, it is bound by its own policies, and it has a very strong free speech and expression policy, which says that something that merely offends or, or uh, makes people, you know, people disagree with, that is still protected. That, that's what it says uh, explicitly. Uh, and beyond that, uh, this is, after all, a university, and universities, all academic institutions, are supposed to be seeking the truth and dealing with, um, you know, different ideas, uh, teaching, learning, uh, pushing your own, uh, you know, boundaries of your mind, that that sort of thing. Uh, so, legally speaking, uh, you know, Georgetown had its own policies that it failed to live up to, uh, but more broadly, philosophically speaking, you know, the role of academia, the role of universities. Um, it, it went against uh, uh, any any uh, possible uh, educational mission. And then the second part of this is, you know, when you set someone up by saying, you know, if, if people find this offensive, you're going to be in trouble. Well, anyone can find anything offensive. That is a choice that someone makes. Whatever they're reading, if they disagree with it, they they now seem to be getting away with calling it dangerous or violent or whatever kind of adjective they want to ascribe Unsafe. to it. I, Unsafe. I wasn't, al I wasn't allowed to go on Georgetown's campus during that four plus months that I was on administrative leave because that, that would have been unsafe. You know, I remember someone, a talk show host, saying they would never want to interview Donald Trump because they wouldn't feel safe. Um, again, it's this... What, however you feel about Donald it's Trump. It's redefining words. It's, it's redefining words. It's an Alice in Wonderland or Orwellian sort of thing where uh, mobs can be justified if they're pursuing the right causes, but but speech can be violence if it's in the service of a uh, of, of wrong think, as it were. It's 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 a sad place that we are. We're with Ilya Shapiro, who recently resigned before he even got started, really, at uh, Georgetown Law. We're going to talk to him a little bit more about where do we go from here and also why some other professors' tweets were kind of ignored and just brushed off to the side. That's coming back. <laughs> 
It's summer grilling season, and if you're looking for the perfect cuts to put on the grill, look no further than Good Ranchers, the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer. They sell 100% American meat and ship it straight to your door. And right now, they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code. Tafoya, T-A-F-O-Y-A. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just thrown into your order at no cost to you. You're welcome. With Father's Day coming up and all the summer events and holidays we've got going, this is the perfect time to try a box of good ranchers. Your father, grandfather, father-in-law, there isn't a father alive that wouldn't appreciate these ribeyes that we're going to throw in. You can make a one-time purchase or subscribe and save 25 bucks on every box. Plus, like I said earlier, you'll get two free 18-ounce boneless ribeyes. I mean, these things are restaurant quality, and other places would charge you 50, 60 bucks a steak to get ribeyes like these, but Good Ranchers is giving them to you for free when you go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya. This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today. They're going to run out. It is a limited stock item. First come, first serve, and you want to be first. When it comes to good ranchers, they deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today. Right now, go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya or use my code Tafoya, T-A-F-O-Y-A, to check out to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Professor Ilya Shapiro is my guest. You may have heard this story. He recently resigned from Georgetown Law. And I'm, I'm just saying Georgetown Law because it's easier to say. Um, it seems to me that in your piece, if I recall it right, your Wall Street Journal piece, you cited some other tweets from other professors who said some really insane things, but didn't suffer through any punishment, weren't investigated, certainly didn't have a four-month investigation into their tweet. How is that double standard allowed to exist so right out there in the open? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a problem with how it, uh, Georgetown has applied a subjective test. That is that uh, anyone who claims offense, all, all of a sudden the speaker is guilty. That's what's known as a heckler's veto. The heckler shuts down uh, uh, the speech. But even under that bad uh, standard, um, that's not been applied by Georgetown uh, evenly and fairly. And I, I present examples just from the last few years where, for example, uh, Professor Carolyn Christine Fair, during the, uh, the confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh, for Justice Kavanaugh, tweeted, quote, look at this chorus of entitled white men justifying a serial rapist's arrogated entitlement. All of them deserve miserable deaths while feminists laugh as they take their last gasps. Bonus, we castrate their corpses and feed them to swine. Yes. So pretty much, you know, any, everyone can agree that that's more outrageous and inflammatory <laughs> than what I tweeted. Uh, you know, there, there are other examples. Most recently, a, a professor at the law school, Josh Chaffetz, justifying mobs uh, going up and trying to intimidate the justices at their houses mm -hmm. here in suburban D.C. Um, other, other example, uh, Heidi Feldman, uh, who talks about how the anyone who's a Republican is illegitimate and yeah. all of these. Sort of, that, by the way, political affiliation is a protected category mm -hmm. in D.C., no different than uh, no different than uh, than race and sex. And whatever. But anyway, I'm not saying that all of these professors should have been punished, investigated, placed on leave, uh, etc. 
I'm just saying that uh, I should have been treated the same as them. And the university should have quickly recognized that uh, this kind of speech, which people disagree, they're welcome to, you know, speak, speak against and write against and, and all of that. But it's not subject to to punishment. It feels scary to me that we are not just entering, we are in now a culture where dissent is quashed very often, where disagreement is, you know, if you're the disagreeer, you're canceled, you're fined, you're laid off, you're whatever, that that the idea of free speech, if we get very technical, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the Constitution, it's the First Amendment, yada, yada, but in a private industry, they can do whatever they want. It seems to me it would be far better for these institutions, for these leaders to say, Ilya Shapiro has his opinion and he is protected by the First Amendment. We disagree with it here at Georgetown Law, but we also stand by his right to express himself. It seems to me it would have gone poof after that. Yep. And that's what happens in the few places with the few administrators who have the spine to actually enforce these sorts of policies. Because it's not rocket science. It's not a matter of throwing up your hands and saying the kids these days, we can't do anything about it. Um, Places like my my law school, alma mater, University of Chicago, has long had very strong positions on free speech. And presidents and deans have said exactly that, uh, as you've said. The big difference over the last in recent years and it's, you know, since in the time since I graduated college you know, 25 years ago or law school 20 years ago, it isn't the ratio of you know, progressives to moderates to, uh, to conservatives among the faculty or among the students. That's pretty much the same. What's changed is the actions of administrators who have become weak and they just kowtow and placate the illiberal mob. Uh, and uh, enforce a rigid orthodoxy that does not brook any dissent uh, from uh, the, the, the accepted uh, range, narrow range of views, that what's called the Overton window. Mm. That Overton window, the, the acceptable range of, of uh, political or other opinions, has shifted left and become very narrow. Uh, and administrators, uh, almost all of them, are, are, are too weak. They're, they're, they're spineless and they're not willing to enforce what in most cases are actually very good policies that these institutions do have on paper. So it becomes a, a paper or the way we consume information these days, a pixel barrier yeah. um, of protection that is not, uh, uh, not applied uh, in, in, in practice. Before we take another quick break here, I want to talk about the word illiberal. I've been hearing it a lot lately a lot from liberals, quite frankly. <laughs> and I, I would love to get your description of it for, for listeners, viewers who are thinking, what do they mean by illiberal? Because it's, it, I don't think it's been in the lexicon as much as it has been in the last maybe year. Um, how would you describe it? Our societies uh, in the West, um, since the Enlightenment, certainly since the founding of the United States, uh, are liberal societies in the sense that it's not an autocracy with uh, iron-fisted rule from the top down. People have uh, rights. We believe in the rule of law. Now, you know, we're not perfect. They, they, they weren't violated. We had the black stain of slavery, of course. But the idea is um, we live by the rule of law, not the rule of man. We have certain natural rights that the government is supposed to uh, secure and protect for us. 
um, uh, especially for minorities, especially for individuals, so that mobs or just, you know, pure majoritarian rule doesn't prevail, you know, 50% plus one can execute someone or imprison them for whatever they want. We, we, we stand broadly against that. It's a very kind of broad conception. It's not liberal versus conservative. It's, right. you know, are you for a free society or are you for authoritarian rule, whether by a dictator, the mob, uh, an oligarchy or, or, or anything like that? And, and the, the illiberal trends that we're seeing are very much cultural and societal. They're not so much coming from uh, the government. And so the illiberal trends we're seeing are things like mob um, rule and people reacting, as I think Georgetown did as an institution, to that reaction rather than standing by or standing up for these principles of liberalism. Is that is that how right? Is that an easy Cancel way to culture, at? broadly speaking, is is an illiberal tendency. So. Um, it's even worse, you know, that, you know, people like me, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have friends in, in high places in the Wall Street Journal willing to publish me and people like you wanting to interview me, that sort of thing. Um, you know, most professors do not, even if they're, you know, at more prestigious positions and get paid more than me or what have you, but they're, they you know, they haven't been acting in the, in the public space as much, let alone kind of average people. Uh, you know, we hear about cancel culture affecting executives at big firms and, and they do. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, being uh, being uh, having educational attainment or or some level of of, of wealth is no protection. But what's it, the worst uh, uh, part of this is average people who make a donation to an unpopular or politically incorrect cause and then get doxxed and uh, fired, boycotted, or as happened in Canada a few months ago, they're frozen out of their bank accounts. So that was the government actually acting there uh, in Canada. But for the most part, what we've seen is simply, you know, you hold the incorrect position outside the Overton window. It's not not uh, for polite society. And again, that's narrowed and skewed. Uh, and then people can't um, uh, can't hold a job or they're, you know, they, 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 they are prevented from accessing, um, you know, polite society. COVID accelerated that. George yeah. Floyd accelerated that. Yes, it, it, it did seem to really start uh, just this exponential climb uh, at, at the beginning of 2020. And now the big question for Ilya Shapiro and really for all of us is where do we go from here? We're going to get to that right after this. Friends, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold, yes, gold has been on the rise. Gas prices, meanwhile, are insane. The stock market is extremely volatile. It's worse than it was a year ago in terms of inflation. And now we have a war with Russia and Ukraine that hopefully doesn't spread any further to the rest of the world. But the markets don't like instability. And the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when it comes to investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains, while others, they lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options when it comes to gold and silver and investing in those precious metals. All you need to do is call them, get your questions answered. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903. 
866-528-1903 or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Back with Ilya Shapiro. Again, we're talking about this sort of cancel culture, this breakdown of free speech and, and the ability to speak our minds. And I think that the organizations, like you said, in, in academia, it's the people without a spine at the top. Same with corporations. We saw Jennifer Say, who is, I spoke to earlier this week, leave Levi's because she was so outspoken about COVID and about kids being kept out of schools. And that just didn't comport with the majority of her community. And I just knocked my camera and I apologize, but what are we going to do? So we were talking about where do you go from here? How do you start this movement toward, we've seen it at Netflix. Now they've finally said, look, if you don't, if this isn't a place for you, think about getting employed somewhere else, but we are going to continue to carry Dave Chappelle. Is that, is this the beginning of sort of the pendulum coming back? Do you think Ilya? I think in society writ large, uh, I am seeing green shoots like that and the pendulum swinging back in, indeed. I'm, I'm much less optimistic about academia. I think a lot of institutions, if not all of academia, are, uh, are irredeemable. Uh, and I'm trying to use this opportunity, this podium, uh, this moment that I've been given to shine a light on, on Georgetown. And I'm, I'm hoping at least at the margin, some administrators start thinking, okay, what are we doing here? Who is this really serving? Um, Boy, because when, when you use the word irredeemable, that's, that's stark. That's, um, that's strong. That's saying there's nowhere to turn. I know there well, are some universities, and you mentioned your alma mater, but that, that do have strong uh, policies about free speech and, and supporting that. What... If if I've got kids going off to college, what what what's a good piece of advice for someone like me to make sure that my kids in a place where they can say whatever they want? Yeah, my kids are are six and four with twins on the way as well. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's but when it rains, it pours. It's uh -huh. been quite quite a year in, in the Shapiro household. But um, so I'm hoping that by the time they're college age, some things will have been figured out, and there are more options. But you really have to go into things with your eyes open and you really have to do your due diligence and uh, make this aspect, uh, the, these criteria, part of what you're looking at when you're thinking about where to go. Um, so, I, you know, I, it's, it's a tough spot for sure. You know, there are there are institutions like like Hillsdale, for example, in, right. in Michigan, which doesn't take federal funding. And so they're not beholden to even some of the regulations that have forced the uh, proliferation of diversity officers. This these this is part of the problem. There's there's been an increase in bureaucratic bloat in, in academia in general. And a large part of that is is diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, which, again, is an Orwellian sort of development that that subverts intellectual diversity, prevents equal opportunity and. Uh, excludes uh, dissent from uh, certain orthodoxy. Uh, so you really have to be careful about you know, what you're going to study, whom you're going to study under. Uh, look at professors that you admire in whatever field um, your, your your student might want to go into and and talk to them um, and, and see what, what the climate uh, really is like. But, you know, it's interesting that you focused on that word irredeemable that I used because that harkens to... Um, 
to religious terminology, really. And, and, and I'm not religious myself. Uh, but one thing I have learned through this process is that uh, because wokeism is kind of a, a religion, mm-hmm. because with a decline of religiosity generally in America, uh, there's been something to rush in to fill that hole that yeah. that everybody, all humans from time immemorial have had a longing to, to fill the, the hole for, for some sort of uh, understanding, some some deeper knowledge. And that's why there's been a loss of, here's another word, grace, that we don't forgive someone where they where they mess up. We don't tolerate human foibles. And we see our political enemies not simply as wrong, but evil. Yeah. And therefore, their wrong think, their wrong speak cannot be tolerated because after all, it's heresy against the prevailing gods. That's sort of what's going on here. And again, I say this as someone who's you know, I'm 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 Jewish culturally, but I'm I'm not very religious. But I think uh, that you know th- that's why this cultural development has been so bitter and all-consuming because there, it's effectively a a religious um, uh, a development in our society. That is such an interesting take, and one that has I've he- sort of heard of tangentially, but you've really you, you've encapsulated it quite well, and I do think. A lot of the country's ills, if you will, or, you know, people are upset. They're angry, angrier than ever, uh, lonelier, isolated. And there isn't this attachment to something good and hopeful and gracious and, uh, you know, sort of reaffirming of what their abilities can be, what their potential is. And instead, that void now has been filled by, as you said, this sort of virtue signaling of, oh, we're going to protect everyone. And then, but there are people you're going to protect them from. And, and you've decided what the line is between those two people, uh, those two types of people. And it's evil and good. And people you disagree with are therefore evil. It's, it's, it's a very, to, to me, this is a very scary time. And, and that's why I chose, I chose uh, to leave my job in sports because I, I just, I have to, I feel like I have to walk the walk and say, you know, I'm going to have the courage to stand up for this and to stand up for people to be able to say whatever they want to say, even if I disagree with it. Cause guess what? Those of you that are really angry at professor Shapiro or anybody else, the tide could turn. And then you're on the other side of that where now the people in supposed power don't like what you have to say and they completely cancel you. I, I just, I think that that point of grace where people don't put themselves in your shoes is, is, is really interesting. And how did this wokeism gain such traction? Um, it's a very good question. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a sociologist or an anthropologist, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a growth of uh, you know, good intentions that we yes. don't you know we don't want we want to we don't want to discriminate against people for immutable characteristics. Correct. We want to be welcoming as a society. We want everyone to have equal opportunity. But at a certain point, um, it it morphs into um, just this this all consuming uh, uh, ideology uh, and even private individuals, even private uh, uh, organizations and businesses cannot be tolerated if they don't agree with, with certain precepts. It's a certain um, 
McCarthyism. Yeah. Um, and again, most of it is in the private space, whether we're talking about academia or corporations or, or social networks, you know, social media has certainly played a role in this development because we're, as you said, isolated. And if we want, we're in echo chambers where uh, we only see things from people we completely agree with, which psychologists tell us uh, uh, make uh, everybody reinforces and makes each other's views more extreme. Uh, and certainly during COVID, when we weren't talking to actual people in person, uh, that accelerated those kinds of, yeah. of trends. A geographic sort in America, that is, people live, uh, tend to live much more with people that they agree with uh, politically. Um, you know, the number of, of landslide counties, each presidential election just increases and, and increases. The, the great sort as people move uh, around the country. Um, so there's a, a combination of factors, I think, uh, that has gone to um, to create these trends. And it's, it's kind of part and parcel of the polarization of of the country. Um, anyway, complicated issues, but, you know, much broader even than, you know, what happened to me or what happens to or, or even than cancel culture, for that matter, because it's kind of the, the nature of our, you know, why all of our public discourse is, is in this cloud, why. You know, the, the book that's over my head, Supreme Disorder, Judicial Politics and the uh, 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 and the uh, Judicial Nominations in the Politics of America's Highest Court, uh, my, my book that uh, is coming out in paperback in a couple of weeks, uh, actually, with an update for the latest uh, battles. But the Supreme Court, the battle for the Supreme Court is very much uh, and, and why confirmations are so toxic is very much because we have the great sort politically uh, and. Uh, different interpretive theories map onto partisan preference at a time when the parties are more separated and sorted than they've been since at least the Civil War. So this this story, uh, I think, can be told across uh, different um, different channels. And you know, you're, you're coming from the sports world. I'm a big sports fan, and you know, have subscribed to Sports Illustrated since I was, I think, you know, eight or ten years old. <laughs> and th- those same tendencies happen in that industry, and you can yeah. see the way that different sports react too. So it's a, it's definitely a society wide thing. Yeah. And I think I, what keeps me hopeful is stories like yours, stories like Jennifer say, people who are willing to say, I can't go along with this. And this is a big problem and it's worth taking this kind of a stand for. I hope that you provide an example for more people. And I think you have, I think you will. I think you're, how are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, this whole process, which I'm I'm still processing, as it were. So it was four days of hell, followed by to continue the religious theme, uh, four months of purgatory, and then uh, another four days of just uh, you know uh, there the metaphor breaks down. But I think maybe I've reached heaven. I, I don't yeah. know. I finally feel I finally feel free and liberated at yeah. least. Yeah. You know when I was when I was let off on a technicality, I felt something, but there was still a gnawing pit that you know this is not quite right. But when I resigned, since then, it's what's allowed me to uh, to feel like um, like I can spread the gospel, as it were. I'm sorry, I'm not normally this religiously <laughs> themed. It's just these things that that that, that occur as as right. I'm talking about this. And now, uh, you know, uh, I've taken a, a new job. I will be starting at the Manhattan Institute, which is a, a wonderful uh, research organization, a think tank based in New York. I'm not moving to New York, but I'm going to be heading up their new uh, constitutional studies program. Uh, and uh, contributing to, you know, a lot of people who I already knew there who already were friends on on the wonderful policy positions that they've been 
developing uh, in, in, in various ways. But I'm very much going to uh, remain in the fight and, and this opportunity with uh, a different and, and higher platform than I would have had otherwise, frankly, um, you know, hopefully be able to, to, to carry this message and, and support others who, who might be unfortunately ensnared in, in similar situations. Ensnared is a great word to describe it. I congratulate you on the new new position. It, it, I love to see courage rewarded. And to me, that's what's happened here. Not that it couldn't have happened in another way, but, but you certainly weren't toxic. Someone grabbed you up right like that. And that says a lot to me about the Manhattan Institute and about you. And I just love to, to, to continue to amplify brave voices, courageous positions, because we need them so badly right now uh, to sort of model for the rest of the, the country what, what you can do. And you really, and, and the fact that you sound so happy and freer and at peace with this is a great thing. And, and I, I'm convinced that it can be that way for a lot of people. Thank you so much for your time, Ilya. My pleasure. Look, look forward to uh, to staying in touch with you. We've written, we, we've recently followed each other on Twitter, but I hope yes. most of our interaction will be uh, in in some other less toxic medium. Yeah, well, I hope so too. Something like this, and and I'm excited about your book being re- released in paperback. We will have it out there. Give it, give the folks the name of it one more time so they can find it. Supreme Disorder: Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's Highest Court. Beautiful. Can't wait to see it. Uh, Congratulations on everything. I know you went through hell and I'm sorry about that, but like so many courageous people, you've landed on your feet where you should be. So Ilya, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you, Michelle. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. So with the economy, the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key. And, and we hear it, we've been told it ad nauseum. You know, diversify, diversify, and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback, they're in trouble. Diversity means asset class diversity as well. You know, some real estate, um, some precious metals. These are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially. And, and, and we know that they happen. They happen continuously and they recur. So that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is 
the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards or I don't have complete faith in in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold. And this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, in the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why Legacy Precious Metals is the place to go. I'm, I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I because I I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. Is I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do. Right. I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. 
we have gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's we see that we see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008 and I know a lot of people Mm do. And it, 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 you know, that was a crash and there've been other crashes, but why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place, right? When, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to 8.5%. Yeah. Uh, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything costs you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year. That in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.